Previously, on the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. True, but maybe the reason you don't get bad calls is because you're not in a position where a bad call can beat you very often. That's true. You're knocking it into the red zone. You're not roughing the punter. You know, you're not targeting. Or you're not giving up a long drive. Yeah, you're you're not giving up a four-play, 96-yard drive. I mean, you know, that's part of it, too, is Ohio State isn't very often in a position where if they get a bad call, it means the difference between victory and defeat. So, I... You know, although Ohio State had such a great year, Big Ten champions, uh, a lot of things accomplished, I can almost guarantee you that every player and every coach in that building feels like it was a disappointment. You know, disappointment's relative. uh, As we learned yesterday morning, as if we need a reminder, we get them periodically. uh, Four weeks and one day from the Fiesta Bowl loss, we get... uh, Knocked back to reality by the uh, sudden and tragic death of Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter and seven other people in a helicopter crash spiels. It's a story that uh, will dominate the news today, which is typically all about the Super Bowl with the Chiefs and the Niners arriving in Miami uh, for the Super Bowl on Sunday. Well, you just hate the loss of life, right? And, And tragic loss of life. And what I've been hearing and reading and seeing is that everybody... Uh, kind of gets readjusted in whatever the message is, hug somebody you love today or whatever. And that's uh, kind of what we try to approach here, that nothing is uh, given to you. You never know when it's time to go home, home. And so it's uh, it's a good reminder that uh, life is precious. Don't waste it. Uh, I always tell uh, people close to me or people that I have a responsibility for is that you know, self-induced stress mm-hmm. is something you need to avoid because life is short. And um, we were reminded of that and and just to feel sad for the whole situation. Not only, not just because it's Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant brings light to that. Life is life. A loss of a life is a loss of a life. Kobe Bryant's life is not any more valuable than anybody else's life. It's sad no matter whose it is. And so, and the fact that it was his uh, 13-year-old daughter was on, on the helicopter even uh, adds to that tragedy. Yeah, and it's everybody on that copter uh, has a story and is yeah. uh, a sad story. You know, baseball coach at a at a junior college, his wife and daughter, so a 16-year-old girl and I believe one other sibling lost their entire family. That hits home for me. I have a 16-year-old yeah. daughter, and I was like telling Katie yesterday, I'm like, imagine if, you know, mom and I and one of your sisters, uh, the, Kobe's assistant basketball coach on his daughter's team was on the helicopter uh, she leaves behind a husband and three children. I'm sure the pilot has a story. Everybody yeah. has a story. And, you know, it's um, it's just brought home sudden uh, death from this life is um, something nobody prepares for. That's why it's sudden. Um, so it's always tragic. It's always sad. It's always uh, stark. And, um, you know, well, they'll dig into the whys and wherefores, reports that the fog was such that the sheriff's department and the police department had grounded their helicopters. This was a thing Kobe did routinely. He commuted from Orange County to um, the Staples Center uh, for games. Um, Sunday morning, his daughter had a game. He was going to coach it, um, and he's gone at age 41. Yeah. From the sports side of it, I look at Kobe Bryant and – you know, the one thing that I admired, he came into the league at 18 years old. He was one of the last or close to one of the last guys to do that where you could come in out of high school, correct? I don't know if he was close to one of the last because LeBron did it, Melo did it, and a few oh, other that's guys true. did it. Yeah, uh, a lot of 41. guys did it. He retired in 2000. He retired young, though. He did. Yeah, he had injuries. He played 18 years. I mean, he, yeah, he's 36. Boy, when, I mean, played is uh, does not tell I – mean, I would think – the number one word I'd think of as of him as a player is just competitive. Yeah, he was he was yeah exactly. And you look at the two most competitive people I think that's played in the NBA, at least of recent memory, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I don't think LeBron has that edge that those two guys played with. And it was interesting looking at Shaquille O'Neal's. Uh, reaction mm-hmm. and, the, and the true feelings that Shaquille O'Neal and respect that uh, Shaq had for 
for Kobe Bryant. Those guys feuded over the years, yeah. but it was, I, I think a lot of that is just locker room banter and. Well, they won three titles, and I don't, I don't know how you ever testosterone and all. I that. think they both wanted to be the number one, and they were both just cut from the same yeah. cloth that they couldn't be number one. I mean, Shaq's sheer physical size made him such that he had to be number one in terms of basketball. I think that ate Kobe up, and yeah. but Kobe was young, and you you mature. Probably looking back, wishes you know, hey. Yeah, winning a title would have been better than trying to be the man. Although he won two titles after Shaq <laughs> left, and and I would agree with you a hundred percent. I think Kobe is the closest thing ever to Michael Jordan. Those two guys watching them over the years seem like the only NBA players to me that could almost on demand will a shot into the basket. LeBron is much much more Magic Johnson than he is Michael. That's Jordan. true. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. I'm no. just talking about straight. No killer instinct guys on the basketball courts in sports term related of course those type of guys are rare i mean and and they're the only two that stick out to me when i think of competitiveness and, and toughness and not only physical toughness but mental toughness the top two on the list and i can't say who's more competitive or not because they both are were kobe Bryant and, and michael jordan and i certainly admire that trait about both of them yeah and you and i doing radio over the years and discussing pure sports topics toughness competitiveness and effort are three qualities yeah. that we prize above everything else <laughs> he had it too. and he had it and so uh, the tributes will continue and deservedly so uh for him as a basketball player and you know i i would say too you know we all know his uh his experience in Colorado, which is uh, unfortunate, the worst thing you can ever do as a husband to your kids mm-hmm. is cheat on your wife. But he, uh, to his credit, uh, appeared to put that back together with his wife, Vanessa, and was, by all accounts, a doting father. And a story that I read today from Arash Markazi of the L.A. Times, he was not at the Lakers season opener against the L.A. Clippers. That's primetime TV. Mm-hmm. It's L.A. It's glitz. It's glamour. It's everything. And it's courtside for Kobe and Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. And he chose not to go because his daughter had a game and he wanted to be with his daughter at her game. And that's, as a dad, I think, made me really yeah. admire Kobe Bryant. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a loss for everybody. But, you know, any time you have a loss of life, it's uh, somebody's affected. And uh, hopefully the way Kobe lived his life, uh, even with the mistakes, right? I mean, a lot of uh, great leaders, and we've talked about in this show, we've all made mistakes. Yep. I'm going to hit on it here in the um, – face segment a little bit when we get to that but uh i think that kobe did everything he could to repair what he damaged and took ownership of his some of his decision making in the best and, and put it tried to put it back together and from all appearances it seemed like he did that definitely you know the thing that struck me yesterday which i didn't think of it because he didn't have this impact on me i'm not a basketball player i'm not a young basketball player but i thought it was Interesting that uh, as the day unfolded and as we got ready for the Buckeyes to play last night at 6.30, uh, many people made the point that every kid playing basketball yesterday, if you're you know in travel basketball or uh, particularly if you're college basketball, Kobe Bryant probably was a, a guy that made you love the sport. Yeah. And so there's this Buckeye story to this. Dwayne Washington, who started last night, or did not start, played eight, uh, got eight points off the bench, Dwayne Washington, uh, Kobe Bryant referred to him as his nephew. Dwayne Washington is the actual nephew of Derek Fisher, former Los Angeles Laker, Kobe teammate. Point guard. And Dwayne spent a bunch of time around the Lakers. And so the death of Kobe Bryant yesterday was very personal personal for Dwayne Washington. Uh, For Andre Wesson, it was also meaningful, not, not as personal, because Andre committed to Ohio State on the day that Kobe Bryant retired. Andre wore number five at Westerville South. He chose to wear 24 at Ohio State as a tribute to Kobe Bryant. So that gives you both uh, sort of sides of this. There are people who knew Kobe personally, and there are many people like an Andre Wesson who did not know him personally but felt like they knew him personally or he was inspired by Yeah, and, well, that's, uh, I think, with the thing with all sports, I know that when you retire, like, there's there's phases that you go to. Mm -hmm. uh, On a much smaller level, I know that I um, inspired some – high school football players or young guys. Well, those guys are now older now. And, you know, a lot of kids, uh, I always tell my kids, I wish you could have watched Michael Jordan play. Mm -hmm. I wish you could have appreciated what Michael Jordan was. And you kind of, you know, fade into the sunset, so to speak, as far as people remembering you playing and how good you were. And Kobe was at the prime of that where a lot of the guys that grew up watching Kobe Bryant play 
or in the college or now in the NBA. So yeah, he spanned that Jordan era and that LeBron era. And, Amazing, uh, and doesn't have to take a back seat in my opinion. Years. Either one of them. No. Yeah. Uh, for the Buckeyes last night, they get their first road win, uh, which you know it's over Northwestern. But at this point, <laughs> take it. we're not giving any of them back. No, take it. No. Um, I said yesterday morning. To somebody at the church, they asked me, are they going to come out of their slump? And I said, they're not in a slump. And he goes, what do you mean they're not in a slump? They've lost six out of seven. And I said, when you've lost six out of seven, you're not in a slump. That's who you are. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not a very good basketball team. Like, it's not a slump anymore. Yeah. They're just, that's who they are. They're they're a struggling average basketball team. And they played last night like a struggling average basketball team until DJ Carton, well, first, Justin Arns came off the bench in the first half, and I thought, woke him up. Yeah. And then DJ Carton late delivered when Caleb Wesson got in foul trouble. So they haven't been making plays at crunch time to win games. They made plays at crunch time last night to win games. It's Northwestern, but take it. I'll take it. Well, it was fun to see, too, that DJ Carton, I think, had ended up with 17 points mm-hmm. and the play he made on the alley oop just showed the athletic ability that he can bring, and uh, there was a couple too where where you know he really the scouting report. Hey, take away his left hand, please. I yeah. mean, he can go to the basket. He's long, but Arns with uh, offense, so you're getting points where you normally don't count on those points. And it was good that uh, DJ Carton. Now, if he can do that consistently, that's when I think this team will be able to go. And another guy is Dwayne Washington. I mean, there's got to be a little bit of consistency from him on the offensive side. I think Luther Muhammad, you know, a good game from Luther Muhammad would be uh, eight points, two steals, six assists, and maybe five rebounds. Yeah. But and, and then, of course, his effort on defense is admirable to me. I love watching a kid play, although he struggles on the offensive side yes, of the ball. Does. But defensively, man, he, he at least I can see why he plays and the value that he brings to that team. And, you know, I don't know, like Caleb. You know, I don't know. I just, I think part of it is I don't know if he's aggressive enough, mindset-wise, offensively. I just, I, I want to see just a little bit more out of him, and I don't know if they go to him enough or, uh, it just. I don't know if the weight loss, quite frankly, hurt gl- him or helped. I'm him. glad you went there because early in the year I would have said the weight loss really helped him because. It made him a much uh, more active player while he's on the court. He's not tired. He is much better hedging on ball screens, which is a big part of playing center. He's a he's much better at avoiding foul trouble. Ironic that I say it on the night where he's in foul trouble with yeah. four seven thirty four. But he is generally not in foul trouble like he was last year. Yeah. Uh, but is it a net gain for him to have lost thirty five pounds? At this point, I would say no. And the chief reason I would say no is because. I think it has tempted him to treat this season as an audition for the NBA. And so he is out there on the perimeter a lot. And when he was 35 pounds heavier, he was out there on the perimeter some, but primarily he was in the low post. And I would prefer him in the low post as opposed to out on the perimeter. Right. Well, I do think, like you said, Bruce, I mean, his obviously he has a goal to play in the NBA. Yeah. I. I don't. I don't think he's an NBA player, but I'm not as professional. I don't think he's a evaluator. starting NBA player. Many guys have surprised me with their ability to make it in the NBA when I didn't see it in college. But uh, he'll have to be a stretch four because that's what the league is now. Yeah. And when I think of uh, elite stretch fours or even serviceable stretch fours, um, I don't see that in him right now. No, not right now. So hopefully. They get it going anyway. It was uh, a win's a win. Uh, they beat a struggling team on the road and struggled to beat the struggling team. And yeah. it's now just, we got you know, we'll see. So just I'll see what happens. Get progressively more when is stressed. that game? More right? stressed as the week goes on. What is that? Saturday at oh, noon. It's not till Saturday? Saturday at noon. Yes. In the shot. In the shot. Are you going? I'll be there. <laughs> my entire family will be there. Thanks Candy stripe pants? Thanks to my very good friend Roy, who's uh, graciously... Uh, Favorite the Hooli family with tickets. So nice. all four uh, female Hoolies will be in the uh, stands, and I'll be safely ensconced uh, several hundred yards away so they can't hear me being a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, but oh, in your mind, though, because I'm sure when you're in the writer's bullpen. Yeah, I don't say anything. That I you're sit there quietly. professional. I am. And fume and let all the anger and rage build up inside yeah, of you. Only adds to the stress. <laughs>
because there can't be the the lid can't come off the kettle. Got it. Um, for those who say Chris Holtman doesn't make any adjustments, somebody said came at came at me last night with that on Twitter. And look, I don't go to practice, and I don't purport to be such a basketball expert that I can. Uh, tell you, well, he tried this and he tried it. I know he's trying everything he can try. And a lot of times if you're trying something and it doesn't work, people presume you're not trying anything. I think he's tried a ton of different lineups and a ton of different this and that. Last night, uh, just to say to those people, say he doesn't try anything, he went small last night when Wesson got in foul trouble and he left Caleb Wesson on the bench. So that's an, that's an adjustment that worked. They quickened the tempo. Northwestern was playing at a comfortable tempo in the first half. So that adjustment worked. But the other adjustments that I thought were more – reflective of him being in tune with his team. After the Kobe Bryant news happened, he canceled shoot-around and instead took his team on a walk around Lake Michigan just to reflect on we're blessed to play basketball, we're blessed to be healthy, we're blessed to have the ability to get out here and do this. And I thought that was a – it's a risk. You need to beat Northwestern. You know, you could say, no, we got to get in there and shoot. we got to get in there. He didn't do that, and I just thought that was an interesting choice he made. And it, it, I'm not saying it's why it paid off in a victory. I'm just saying they got a victory and he made adjustments. So if you're going to bang on him and say he's ill-equipped, you got to give him some credit for what they did yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will not give John Rahm any credit. He is a PGA Tour golfer, and I just found this to be ridiculous. You know how you always hear, like, guys on the tour don't know what the score is. Oh, I don't look at the scoreboard. Uh, I find yeah. that always like you got to be crazy. Like, how do you not know where you stand? It so determines the type of shot you hit or where you what you need to do. Be aggressive, not be that's stupid. So in the Farmers Insurance Open yesterday, at Torrey Pines, uh, Mark Leishman is leading the tournament. John yes. Rom gets uh, hot late. He goes five under in the last six holes, and he comes to the 18th hole. Leishman's playing in front of him. Leishman's mm-hmm. leading. Leishman birdies the 18th hole. Okay, so Rom. Uh, Knocks it on in two, and he has virtually the same exact putt that he had three years ago, which he drained to win his only PGA Tour event at the Farmers Insurance Open. It's the same putt, same line. Yeah. It's a tad closer. Uh, he cozies it up there. It He left it short from above the hole, which it, was, it wasn't like, oh, come on, hit it, Alice. Yeah. It's a tough putt. And I just assumed, well, he was trying to make it. He'd seen the line before. He was trying to make it. He just didn't make it. I get up this morning and I read that he said he thought he needed birdie, not eagle, wow. to tie the tournament. And he so he puts out and he says to his caddy, his caddy says, nice try. And Rom goes, try? What are you talking about? We're going to extra holes. And he goes, no, no, Leishman, <laughs> Leishman birdied the hole. All you got to do is look at the scoreboard, yeah. John Rom. Well, shouldn't his caddy be in his ear, too? I would, ta- I would think so. I'd hey, fire you know, the like, caddy. You know, we got to make this, boss. We got to make yeah. this. I'd fire the caddy. It's his oh. fault. No, I mean, the... And that well, that's just a mental error. I think he. The only thing you can do from that is n- never come with that BS again. That I don't look at the scoreboard because that's your fault. And that, yeah. I'm just thinking. I anybody that says that, I have a hard time believing that because those guys, there's too much on the line and on every single shot, and they're so good. It determines. Okay, am I aggressive here? Or am I not aggressive here? Am I going to be aggressive on this putt, or am I not going to be aggressive on this putt? So I don't buy any of that. And if you don't look at the score, then you're mentally weak. And you can't. You shouldn't be on a professional tour if you can't look at the score and determine where you are and what you need to shoot I agree to win. You. Then, then, then don't play. Go play in, in Monday Night Rec League golf at uh, Raymond Memorial. Aren't we, I already got a good league over there. Aren't we there for the score? Like, isn't that the yes. whole idea? The score is the idea? Yeah. I just thought that was like, whoa, dude, you blew it there. Uh, review the podcast for us, please. Go to iTunes and do that. Uh, we'll uh, put a tutorial on the show notes on our podcast uh, on how to do it. If you do not know how to do it, uh, this headline is, This is a Great Podcast. Chris and Bruce, Bruce can be counted on to provide solid insight and excellent takes. I like the faith part of the show and how they both shared how their faith and their lives are one and the same. I listen to each episode from the catchy intro all the way through to the end. Keep them coming. Yes, we will keep them coming. Catchy intro. Catchy intro. Yes, indeed. Which you blew this morning. We I had to redo blow. it. We had to redo it. I recorded a new open, and then <laughs> I played the old open, and then you know, I was like, what? That's why I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, so I could have the intro ready for you. So, yes, yes so we got the intro ready. Okay, uh, Super Bowl is here. 
Uh, let's talk first about the Browns GM situation yeah. uh, because, to my knowledge, we don't have a GM yet, but we know who it won't be, and it won't be George Payton of the Minnesota Vikings, Rick Spielman's right-hand man. Mm-hmm. So everybody uh, in Northeast Ohio in the media is listening to the Spielman and Hooley podcast, waiting to hear Chris Spielman dish the inside dope on why <laughs> George Payton pulled out of the Browns GM search. Do you know anything, or is there anything you can say? Um, or just, you know, your insights from watching these kinds of things unfold over the years? I think um, George has had opportunities to go other places. Uh, I've, it was his second interview, and if it, I don't have any inside information. It's a long one, too, eight hours? Yeah, eight hours, and I just think there's a point either you're going to make a decision or you're not going to make a decision, and maybe the Browns... Wanted to be more patient. Maybe George needed a decision, and if they weren't going to make a decision after an eight-hour interview, then maybe he's not the guy. That's just pure speculation on my part. I have not spoken with George. I have not spoken with Rick about this, or I have not spoken with anybody within the Browns organization about this. I just know that if I've interviewed once, I'm coming in for a second interview. I spend eight hours with you. And if we're not willing to make a decision on me, then maybe I'm not your guy. That's that's how I would read it. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I, I don't know. And I do think that instead of wasting everybody's time, and uh, I would probably do the same thing. Hey, look, uh, it's obvious that you know you're not dying to have me, and if you're not dying to have me, mm-hmm. and you're not seeing uh, maybe how the fit with Kevin Stefanski and and I go and kind of build that bridge uh, that I can do and that what Kevin and I can build, then maybe it's not the job for me. So that's what I'm speculating, and that's what it seems like. Uh, Mary Kay Cabot uh, wrote a story late last week that said if all goes well and both sides decide they want to make this thing happen, he will soon become the general manager of the Browns. Mary mm-hmm. Kay's pretty dialed in, so I would assume – uh, either A, all did not go well, or B, or maybe both, A and B, uh, they decided that they did not want to, either the Browns decided they did not want him, George Payton decided he did not want them, or George Payton decided he did not want to wait on them deciding whether yeah. they want him. That's, and if I'm I mean, George that's, Payton... That's the, the only scenarios you can have, unless Andrew Barry is the guy that they want to have. And that's fine if they do. I don't know... Andrew Barry, and if he does come, I hope it works. Mm-hmm. I know that Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry have met. Uh, they've seemed to uh, hit it off when they did meet, but they don't have the experience of working 14 no. years together. So I, I, I don't know what happened. Uh, I just think that, you know, eventually you have to make a decision, and if you're not going to make a decision either from the Brown side or from Georgia's side – then you say, hey, maybe this thing isn't going to work. Thanks for your time. Yeah, you can meet a guy in a job interview and say, hey, that guy seems pretty sharp. I like him. But it's not the same as working together with somebody for 14 years. You're going to experience their bad days, yeah. their bad habits, their things that aggravate you, the things that you like. Andrew Barry has not done GM work. That is what someone in the uh, Philadelphia Eagles uh, circle uh, of Circle trust. of trust, yes. Circle of trust. I'm watching you. Uh, would uh, has told me, uh, but he is. Uh, but that same person said that they really like Andrew Barry. He's a really good man, mm-hmm. and that Barry was brought in and kind of m- moved into the middle of the Eagles organization, and that that makes people who you're moved in over uh, less inclined to accept you. So this person spoke favorably of Andrew Barry. I said, "Has he been? A, does he do GM things? No, he does not do GM things." Well, what, what's so, your definition? He does player personnel things. Uh, he no, he does football ops. Okay, he's the vice president of football ops. So, so that might be like scoreboard and you know, like media thing, uh, like uh, uh, sponsorships, and it could be anything. Football ops could be anything. Yeah, and I'm assuming it's it's some personnel. Tell me involved. what George Payton does with the Vikings. Everything he does. Uh, um, his main thing is personnel. Like okay. Rick does everything. So Rick has uh, business obligations that he has to tend to, and I'm sure George assists him with that. But they work together as a team as far as running the scouting departments and setting that up and having a system in place. I mean, 
you know, GM isn't like a king or a monarch sitting at the throne mm-hmm. saying, I want him, I don't want him. There's a whole system in play where the uh, an evaluation process takes place from what the scouts do throughout the year to the coaches. They're, the coaches at the end of the year are assigned certain players by their position to give their evaluation, and there's a meeting of the minds, and everybody comes together on where this guy will fall, and this is what our grade is on him. And so all this work goes on for 364 days a year until the draft day. Then you have your draft board in place. Then you have every possible scenario mm-hmm. that not only your team, the direction your team will go, but you're about 95% sure of where every other team will go. So there's a system in place. And and so I don't – I mean, I'm sure Andrew's a very bright guy, and he played four years at Harvard – uh, I don't know him well enough to make an observation on whether he can choose personnel or not choose personnel. It's not fair for me to say whether he can do it or he can't do it because I, I just don't know. All I do know is that they had something that fit. It just made sense. When you have, uh, again, we go back to the scenario when you have the head coach and general manager and the owner, everybody is preaching the same language and everybody's on the same page philosophically, we know what we want. I know what Kevin Stefanski wants in the type of player and type of team he wants to build. So, and I'm not saying that can't happen with Andrew Barry or can't. I, I just don't know. Right. And the other thing that I still have a hard time understanding, and which I think everybody that is interviewed for this job, well, where's the guy that comes in to work 100 days a year? Paul D. Podesta. Where does he stand? I mean, what? What does he do? What, I mean, a chief strategy officer. Yes. Our strategy is to win and to get the best players. <laughs> I mean, what I what, what, I don't understand. I And so I don't know if there's a confusion on, okay, well, where does he fit in? And why is he interviewing me? And am I answering to him? Am I answering to the owner? Who's Kyle answering to? Who are my scouts answer to? Do I report to D. Podesta? Do I report to the GM? Do I, so I just don't know. I I can't think of another team or an organization that has a chief strategy officer. That's uh, not in the building every day. Yeah, I, I I. How do you do that? I mean, how I how do you put your organization? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not being snarky or it's unusual. an idiot. I mean, it's I unusual. just don't understand how if this guy is running the team so apparently by appearance at least and I'd be happy to be corrected yeah I would love to yeah. have somebody from the Browns organization tell me how this works but how can we guy apparently by appearance be running a football team and not be there 350 out of 365 days a year how is that even possible well the problem with that is culturally Everybody in that building is in there. Like I was reading a story today from Peter King, his uh, Super Bowl week column. Andy Reid's picking him up at the hotel at 3.15 a.m. We all know legendary stories of coaches who sleep at facilities. The the point is they're all in. They're all invested. They're there. The appearance of a guy who's doing it remotely some of the time, maybe half the time, maybe more than half the time from San Diego is that – He's not as invested as I am. He hasn't moved his family here. He's not here at the facility. Now, you know, can he do the job remotely? I don't know if he can or can't. I just know that for the culture, it's not ideal. It's just not ideal. But I, I just don't I, I I don't understand what he does. Where what is his job? Well is, is he the is he picking players? Is he telling them who to pick? Well, they've is had there... ample opportunity to tell us what his job is, and they don't tell us. But when so he... if they felt good about how it would be perceived, the job that he's doing, my presumption is they would sell it. So he did a press conference. What did he say? Do you remember? Just a lot of, you know, we're all lining up and we're all doing this and we're trying to do, you know, all theoretical stuff. Um, So here's the other thing. I put a great value. Maybe you don't. Maybe they don't. I put a great value on... A complete picture of a football culture, body language, how guys arrive for work. I don't mean the means with which they arrive for work, what they're driving, but when they arrive and what their body language is and how they interact with people, how they interact in the lunch line with the people who are serving the food. All that 
is it a is it a 100% picture of who the player is? No. Is it a little tiny picture? Does it tell you a bit about his character, a bit about the kind of person he is, a bit about his buy-in? I believe it does. Now, maybe if Paul D. Podesta doesn't think it does, if it's not something that he can plot on a Excel spreadsheet or he can't calculate with a number, maybe he puts no value on it. But I put great value on those little tiny things, those little snapshots of a day, and he can't possibly have those if he's not in the building. No, there's no, uh, or building relationships within that building, yes. building relationships with secretaries, with uh, custodian workers, with cafeteria workers, as you said, with equipment guys, with the trainers, with the doctors. I, here's I, look, I'm not saying I don't know Paul. I never met the guy. I have no idea if he walked into this beautiful basement in in the hinterlands, sumptuous studio. I I would not recognize who the guy was, and I'm not saying it can't work. Uh, I would say. That I do think, and I don't know if people have thought of this or not, but I certainly think it, Bruce, that you limit the ability to draw from the best talent possible when you have this mystery man and seems to be calling the shots without calling the shots, and nobody knows what he does. So, for example, if I'm like George Payton has been a leading candidate for GMs for a lot of years, whatever reason, he didn't want the Jets job. He was taking San Francisco. Then Lynch uh, ended up winning mm-hmm. that job at the end. But, I mean, you have all these talented guys. But if there's a question mark of, well, who's the mystery man that calls in and, and is doing all the hiring and all of a sudden has a owner of the year? Well, if he's not around and we're not in constant communication, or, for example, you know, if I want to make a practice squad move, right? I, I want to sign uh, this guy to the practice squad. Do I have to go through this guy to make sure that it's okay that yeah. I sign a practice squad guy? And do I have to wait for the owner's okay? To, and he tells me, get the Podesta's analytical report on that kid, then make that decision. So, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just spitballing here because I have no idea. I just know how it looks, and it makes me a little anxious because – I don't know what he does, and that's frustrating for me that I have no idea what his, what his role is, besides hiring people, apparently. Well, when you don't define it, you allow other people to define it, and that can be a dangerous precedent for a franchise that's been scarred by repeated failures, and I would say, having done radio in Cleveland at the time Mike Holmgren was there, the number one beef of Browns fans was that Mike Holmgren did not work hard enough. Well, he at least lived in Cleveland. He at least showed up. <laughs> Maybe he showed up at 11 a.m. and maybe he left at 3 p.m., but that's four hours he was there at the facility that on a day-in and day-out basis, Paul D. Podesta is not there. Uh, as for George Payton, I would say that uh, the Indy opportunity, the New York Jets opportunity, the San Francisco opportunity, to my knowledge, at none of those previous places did he have the opportunity to go and work with a head coach who he had worked with for a long period of time, like he would have had that opportunity with Kevin Stefanski. So... I think that's a very good thing that could have been a very good thing for the Cleveland Browns. And as I said two weeks ago, I'll feel better about their commitment to alignment, their commitment to letting Kevin Stefanski have the kind of situation Kyle Shanahan has where everybody asks him, Coach, what do you need? What kind of player do you like? La, 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 la. And the Niners have been pretty successful doing that. And there are other New England Patriots do that. I think a lot of teams do that. I just think I would have felt better about that had it been George Payton rather than Andrew Barry. Well, we'll see. Maybe it can work out. I want to send this quote to every Browns fan. Mm-hmm. I want to send it to uh, Kevin Stefanski. I want to send it to Paul D. Podesta, to Jimmy and D. Haslam, to everybody that is somehow invested in the Browns. And I sent this to you on Saturday morning. Yes. And, and let's see if anybody out there, well, they'll be able to guess who it is. And here's the quote. It starts anytime one of your best players, who everyone, I mean everyone, and, and knows that this guy had more yards in the past game as a tight end in the history of the NFL last year. Shanahan said, asked about Kittle's influence mm-hmm. on the team's heavy uh, late run of offense, run heavy offense. So anytime you have a guy like that who's one of the best players on your team, who's always just talking about running the ball and playing physical in the game and giving everything you can, it helps you as a coach hold everyone else a lot more accountable, and rarely do you have to. 
when people are watching guys do that type of stuff, when they watch guys like Richard Sherman play the run, a corner playing the run, Mm -hmm. like his life depends on it, it makes your job as a coach a lot easier. When your best guys are giving it up for the team, when they are doing it, everyone else doesn't have a choice. And That's I wrote, a winning culture. And I said to this, Bruce, compare that mentality to the Browns. Yeah. So that's Kevin Stefanski. This is what I tweeted about. This is what I preached about when I told you about Khalil Mack walking into the Chicago Bears locker room and what Vic Fangio said. Mm-hmm. It's never going to happen for the Browns to get to the level that they need to get to until that mentality is instilled in that locker room. It is not there. It's not close to being there because of the one, two, three, me attitudes, at least perceived attitudes that we see week in and week out from that team. We don't worry about that with Nick Chubb, right? We don't worry about that with Miles Garrett when he comes back. I worry about it with three guys. And the guy that has to take the lead above everybody else is Baker Mayfield. He's got to take this lead, Baker. I mean, you can be so – and I'm – you know this. I am the probably the biggest Baker fan out there as far as football. Big Baker fan. Yep. As, as far as football goes. And so that's Kevin's challenge because I promise you, if they win a game, say they go in the open, opener next year, and they win the game 21-10, to 10, and the stats look like Baker Mayfield – 9 of 12, 136 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. Combined rushing, 275 yards from Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on 42 carries or on 35 carries. Do you think you'd hear any moaning and complaining after the game? Not the first game, but you do when you win the second game like that. What's going to come out of that locker room? Well, the first time they lose a game, let's say they get to they're three and one, or they're two and one. Two and one's a pretty good start, given how they typically start. And through three games, Odell Beckham has um, eight catches, and Jarvis Landry has uh, twelve. Let's say ten or twelve catches, yeah, because he's more of a possession guy. Uh, When they lose their game, one of those guys will say, and fans will take it as, "Oh, this guy's selfless. He really stole. I can do more. I want the ball more." Here's my problem with those who defend Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry on the I want the ball more, give me the ball, I, 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 me, me, me. When those guys say they want the ball, what they are not saying but what is implied is Nick Chubb doesn't have the ball. If Jarvis Landry has the ball, Nick Chubb doesn't have the ball. And the same with Odell Beckham. And so anytime a player says, give me the ball, I want the ball, well, maybe the coach is giving it to somebody else because they think that guy gives them a better chance or – Time, history, your personnel, whatever, prove that guy gives you a better chance. And Browns fans can't have it both ways. You can't have, and they do, decry the fact that, oh, Nick Chubb got the ball 11 times against the Bengals. Yeah. And then at the end of the game when when Beckham says, well, I want to do more. I want to do more. You can't like both of those. You can't protest Chubb only getting it 11 times and like Beckham saying he wants right. it more. Because if Beckham's getting it more, Chubb's getting it less. Well, I mean, the Vikings went through that last year, right? Where they continue, And Diggs started complaining and moaning. And they did adjust their offense, but they adjusted the offense because running the ball 40 times, they lost the game and they weren't winning the game. And they became more balanced. And But that didn't mean that they... They changed everything, and everything, it wasn't constant. Here's the other thing that you have a guy like in Kirk Cousins, if guys are complaining about the ball, doesn't care if they're complaining doesn't about the ball. Doesn't care. I think Baker, because of his personality, and because he, deep down, usually guys that have the uh, underdog walk-on mentality, I think Baker, and how he responds to criticism, I think Baker wants to be loved. He wants to be liked. Yeah. And he doesn't want to let anybody down. And, and you know, that's not a bad thing. But I think at the nature of the quarterback position, he's got to give him a big F you once in a while. Yeah. You'll get the ball. You know, yeah. well, not, you know well, what I mean. He's the alpha male. I yeah, mean, you got to be. You'll get the ball when I decide you'll I get like the ball. I like Cousins' response. Said, I throw where the reed tells me to throw it. Yeah. I so, throw where the reed tells me. And, you know, if you're open, I'll get it to you. If you're not, you won't get it. And, again, I'm just 
uh, obviously speculating here. But if those guys are constantly chirping into his ear, you know, that affects him. I, I really believe it. Where certain players, it doesn't affect him. Because why wouldn't it affect him? Because what do we know about Baker Mayfield? We know that Baker is an emotional guy. Everything is based off emotions, man. And I, I just would hope to get in his brain one day that never make an emotional decision. The other, Just reading that quote from Kyle Shanahan, it makes everybody's job yep. easier, and it holds everybody accountable when your best players – are team guys first above their individual. And that we saw that with, why do you think, one of the biggest reasons the Patriots have won six Super Bowls is that mentality has been present with that team like nobody else. And it's so hard to copy because of the egos involved in the National Football League. There's, so hard to copy. There's a story, and I forget who tells the story, but it's somebody who was a either a Patriot or a scout or somebody in the organization shows up at the facility in a non-football time of year, uh, Saturday morning or sometime, and there's one car. And he goes in the facility, and there's Tom Brady, who's you know already won Super Bowls, and Brady's in there working on stuff. And they have a you know, nice little chat. Hey, what are you doing here? I'm just working on some stuff, blah, 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 blah. And the guy gets ready to leave, and Brady says to him, hey, don't tell anybody. In other words, don't tell anybody I'm here. I, you know, I'm here. I'm doing what I need to do, but I don't need any accolades for it. I don't want anybody to know I'm here. I'm doing my thing. That kind of attitude. Don't and tell anybody. You don't right. need to get recognized for what you're doing. And the Browns have a bunch of guys who, boy, they like getting recognized. Well, yeah, I, I, again, we're beating a dead horse, but that that's the test, and that's Kevin Stefanski's biggest challenge. That's why I think – you know, I had optimism for the Browns where I thought they could win 10 games this year. and They do, Bruce, but it's such a, a huge challenge. And hopefully, hopefully the uh, Kevin Stefanski era, and it looks like it's going to be Andrew Barry as a GM, hopefully that era, hopefully they can challenge these guys to put team first. And there's hopefully somebody strong enough within that Browns locker room to get everybody going in the same direction uh, because I got news for you. Kevin, you said it our last podcast. It's Kevin Stefanski is going to probably have one shot as a head coach here, right? That's what you, you can't count on two or three times. You, you cannot, you're not you guaranteed. Get, you two get, or three. you no. get one. You get one. He's got one and he better do it his way. And I'm going to send this out to all Browns fans. His way Mainly, now obviously the game circumstances dictate certain plays and all that stuff, but his way is to run the football. It's his way. And so we'll see how the Browns respond. And uh, I don't know. I I, I want to be optimistic because I want Kevin Stefanski to succeed like I want all coaches to succeed. I really do. I hate, I mean, I hate seeing guys getting fired or losing their jobs or getting ripped or all that. I, I hate it. I want him to succeed, but he's got a huge challenge to get these egos corralled so everybody pointing to the same goal that it's about the Browns and not about me. And if they can do that, talent-wise, Bruce, they're they're not bad. They're pretty darn good. No, they got to build the offensive line. Maybe Jonah Jackson would be a good pick for them in the third, fourth round if he's still around. Uh, he had a good senior bowl on Saturday. Devon Hamilton had a good senior bowl on Saturday. Malik Harrison did. K.J. Hill didn't flash in the senior bowl, but he flashed in practice. Those are the important things. There's a guy that stood out in a senior bowl that nobody's talking about. Nobody? You're you, about to. You didn't say him's name. Is he a Buckeye? Yeah. Uh, Austin Mack. Yeah. Okay. That's the guy. He had one catch, up. but he looked but good blocking and everything. No, I did no. not watch it. I had here's a basketball thing. game here's, to attend. Yes. I know your basketball love. Well, it's my daughter. So oh. she is my she is my basketball oh. love at the moment. Oh, whatever. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're just saying that. No. Uh, Austin Mack really impressed a lot of people. I mean, KJ Hill obviously had a great senior bowl. It was all over Twitter. And then you get one reporter, one guy like uh, Daniel Jeremiah or somebody like that, that, or McShay or somebody down there that tweets about him, but. One of the guys that is such a natural wide receiver, and he got injured a little bit right here at Ohio State, 
is Austin Mack. Uh, I think Austin Mack is going to have a great career as a wide receiver. Uh, remember the one game, the thing about, I love about Austin Mack, there was one game two years ago where he had some drops. You oh, yeah. That? Oh, yeah, TCU game. Yeah, and and but I think Austin Mack, uh, out of all the receivers, he's the just a natural receiver. Like a guy like Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas is, is not the most fluid, but he is a beast in route running and works very hard and smart and uses every ounce of ability to become one of the best receivers in the game. Yeah. But then you just have guys that are just like just natural, you know, yeah. just natural catcher of the ball, just everything is smooth and nice. And I think Austin Mack uh, really turned a lot of heads down at the uh, Senior Bowl. So that's uh, good news for all Buckeyes. And he so. made a tremendous catch in the Fiesta Bowl. His kid's got great hands. So. He, he, I mean, they're so – and we're, we're not even talking about Garrett Wilson, right? Or, yeah. and, and Plus, Benjamin Victor uh, he did. played pretty well in the East-West game. Yes, so he did. It's just amazing that the amount of talent that's been accrued over there. It's just absolutely amazing to me. And they'll add to it this week with uh, National Signing Day coming up. I think it's this week. Maybe it's the week after. I'm proud to say I don't know exactly when it is because I'm no not idea. fixated on the young kids. Don't but care. We are fixated on our friend Trevor Stover, whose son, Cade Stover, is a Buckeye defensive end linebacker. Watch for big things from him. And if you want the best protein you can find, True Farm to Table at Stover Farms Custom Meats, 4000 Presidential Parkway in Powell. Great steaks. They're certified Angus beef grown on their farm in Mansfield and processed on their farm in Mansfield. Uh, is unbelievably good. No hormones, non-GMO, all great for you. Chicken and pork as well. So make Stover Farms Custom Meats on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday a stop for you and mention the Spielman Hooley podcast. Get a special discount or a free pound of hamburger for every pound that you buy. StoverFarmsCustomMeats.com, 4000 Presidential Parkway in Powell. This is the time of the podcast where we uh, transition into the faith portion, but we would encourage you to email the show with your questions, SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. And I want to thank those of you who have emailed me uh, about your interest in uh, networking with me and talking to me about how we can help you with a leadership and character development endeavor that uh, I'm helping to uh, work on with some people in the leadership space. These are proven concepts that work uh, to help turn companies around and we hope they can make your team culture better, help you uh, develop character in your youth sports teams, mm -hmm. your high school teams, and all that. Uh, and we're excited we have a coach from, uh, I believe, Bishop Watterson, who's going to join us in that. And uh, I want to wish, um, well, I guess I'm taking my Basketball life. coach? Not the basketball coach, I was going to say. I wanna, He's my buddy. I want to wish Tom well tonight. Watterson, I'm taking my life in my hands out here in the Plain City, Jonathan Alder District, because they play Alder tonight. Tom Woodford. Oh, that's my guy. And Tom Got a really uh, good daughter, point guard. Paige. Paige yeah. And uh, Paige is headed to Mercyhurst, I believe. Yeah. And uh, Tom won his 400th game earlier this he year. He did. 400th game with Paige in the lineup. So that's got to be a special moment. I have to. 400th win with Paige in the lineup. So uh, I really like Tom. Good luck to Watterson tonight. Alder's having a good year. Watterson, I think, fifth in the state in Division One. Yeah, he's he's he does a great job. Got Coach. Uh, what's Coach's. Uh, Name, how's state coach's name? Coach Holtman? No, the girls' coach. Oh, the Women's girls' coach. coach. Kevin. Um, Why am on. I slipping that? I don't. We're, know. This Kevin, is a uh, bad sign. Man, dude, dude I, I we just wrote a story about the women on si.com. I feel sorry, Coach Kevin, Kevin. McGuff. Yeah, Kevin McGuff. Coach McGuff's daughters, yeah. I believe, on that team too. On Watterson's team, I think so. Okay. Yeah. You but, know, uh, uh, Coach McGuff has Shebron on his team. Kirsten Bell. Yes. From the Canton area. Yeah. Kirsten Bell and LeBron James, the only three-time Mr. or Ms. basketball nice. in the state of Ohio. So, yeah. yeah. Played against her. She's a good player. Hey, uh, you got emails about the leadership thing? I do. I'm hopefully somebody will start emailing us about the balance challenge, about mental, physical, spiritual. And we well, had we one had one last week. For Dan, yeah. And uh, I'm going to update you on where I am in my sixth thousand mile challenge Where are you spiels if i'm not going to do it till the end of the month till across the country and back maybe we'll put a big map up here well, i'm only put 20... spiels are you from columbus what are you going east first and then back across this, country this is the back. 27th day that i'm into it 27th day of january just put it this way and you got to average how many miles a day 16.5 miles per day Ooh. and it's running cycling or walking okay so i did 20 Point five yesterday. 
20.5. Yeah, 11.5 on a bike, 10 run walk. By my calculations, you should be 432 miles into this. Uh, You're like well to, above I'd that, I'd like to aren't stay you? ahead of schedule. You're yes. well above yes, that, I, aren't well, you? Yes. Because the challenge will be when you go to uh, Florida on vacation. Uh, well, I was in Connecticut in, for the Walter Camp. Mm-hmm. And let's just say... Uh, you were frequently in the gym? Yes, in... Uh, Thank, thankfully, I have a wife that is as uh, psychotic she's, about. She says committed. She just texted me twelve point one miles in twenty eight minutes. Uh, you can't afford to be out here anymore. <laughs> You're falling behind the misses. I'm starting to sweat now because now I got to go home and beat that for the day. It's just driving me crazy. Funny, but uh, yeah, email the show and, and, and any yeah. spiritual growth, physical yeah, growth, love or to hear mental growth you. that you have. Uh, I love to hear it because it inspires me. Um, SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. Yep. Am I going? Can You're I going. do yeah. this now? Yeah. So, um, because you inspired me, Mr. Hooley. Wow, great. Well, you do. I, I was able to get up this morning and read something uh, spiritually that kind of uh, a prayer, actually. It says, grant me, O Lord my God, a mind to know you, a heart to seek you, wisdom to to find you, conduct pleasing to you, a faithful perseverance in waiting for you, and a hope of finally embracing you. I mean, that covers a lot of areas, yeah, right? Yeah, it sure does. That's a now, But it's to the one who has faith, faith, there is no explanation necessary for what I just read for that prayer, right? Mm-hmm. We can't have full knowledge all at once, which you'll agree with that, correct? Absolutely. We must first start by believing. Then afterwards, we may be led on to master the evidence for ourselves. Creator of all things, true source of light and wisdom, origin of all being, graciously let a ray of light penetrate the darkness of my understanding. Take me, take from me the double darkness in which I have been born and obscurity of sin and ignorance, which is true. We're born in obscurity and ignorance. But I was thinking about this. And so to those out there, um, Bruce and I aren't going to change you. Bruce and I can't, um, I don't, I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't want you to take Bruce's word for Mm -hmm. it. And Phil, I mean, if you have any disagreements, when I say, feel free to step in. Uh, the prayer here is, look, this is an option that is presented to you. This is an option that Bruce, Bruce and I have found to be truth. But I don't want you to say, well, just because Chris said it, it must be true. Or just because Bruce says it, it has to be true. No, it's your, it's your responsibility. And hopefully you're, the curiosity or if you have in your heart that feeling that, hey, this life is great, and, you know, we live in the greatest country in the world, and we've been blessed over and over, but I'm made for something so much more. I just, I don't know what that is, but I know it's something. It's a hole in my heart or whatever it is, or there's just this instinct that I have that I'm not just supposed to live this life and die, then that's it, and that's a ball game. I mean, there's got to be something else, right? Well, I think you have a great opportunity and this is a beauty thing. I never want to tell you what to believe. I never want to tell you that, ever, because it's not my place to tell you what to believe. I would encourage and challenge you to explore what to believe and to look at the evidence for yourself and to look at wisdom and ask, even if you say, if you don't believe in God, and I, I, I don't know what to tell you, but if you, if you have a question or you know that there's something out there Ask that something and say, okay, well, open up my heart and open up my eyes and, and maybe point me in a direction so that I can investigate for myself. And there's there's great books out there, and I advise you to um, Google C.S. Lewis. Uh, there's a book called Christianity 101 by Lee Strobel. There's all kinds of books that, look, they're not trying to convert you. What they're trying to do is say, here's the evidence, and you make a decision for yourself. And by the way, C.S. Lewis and I believe Lee Strobel were both atheists yeah. when they set out on that journey. I'd add a third name to that, uh, Josh McDowell. Yeah, Josh, yeah. Uh, evidence that demands a verdict. And here's the thing, you know, 100% agree with everything Chris said. One of the things I thought was really profound about what he said 
he read the prayer, you know, know you, seek you, find you, please you, wait for you, embrace you. And I, we realize that there are all levels of belief or unbelief among people listening to our podcast. And so you know, we frequently quote Bible verses. And you may be a person who's sitting there going, hey, look. That, what does that mean? That doesn't mean <laughs> anything to me. Yeah. You know, like you guys. And I, and I respect the arguments of people who say, you can't prove to me God exists with a with a book that is his word because you're coming at me with you're asking me to believe in something that I'm telling you I don't believe in. So when Chris and I bring the names Lee Strobel, C.S. Lewis, Josh McDowell to the table, there have been other people who have been as skeptical or as um, unconvinced as you who have approached the question of faith in Christ and the gospel of Christ from the same doubting perspective as you, and they have written evidence-based books apart from the Bible to become believers. So that's why we would encourage you to read those books. And why if you say, I need an intellectual approach to this, I'm a scientific sure. person, I'm a, I want to believe in it intellectually, not just from a faith perspective. Great, we're trying to steer you to those resources so that you can. For me, and just this morning, because I am at a place where I have long ago made the decision that Jesus Christ is real in my life, and he's a, he was a real person, and he lives now, he lives in my heart, he lives in heaven, I can go to John 1, and I can go to Colossians 1, and mm-hmm. I can read those two chapters in the Bible, and I can be enormously inspired about who he is and the fact that he has always been and that all things were created for him, by him, and through him. And that inspires me. But I want you to find something that inspires you and convinces you that he is real. Because in an instance like yesterday morning, when an iconic figure in the world of sports, Kobe Bryant, is snatched from this life in a heartbeat, my overriding takeaway from that is that none of us know the day or the hour when our life will end. Mm-hmm. And that, again, this decision of who Jesus Christ was and who he is to you is a decision that every person in the world, my my opinion is, my belief is, my strong belief, as much as I'm sitting here next to Chris Spielman, I believe that every person's eternal destiny will be determined by who they say Jesus Christ is to them. And so I invite you to, I implore you rather, to invest in making that decision purposefully in your own life. Know why you are going to decide that he is either relevant to you or irrelevant to you, because it is enormously consequential, more so than any other decision you make in life, who you marry, what you do for a living, Mm -hmm. la, la, la. It's the most consequential decision you ever make because it determines your eternal destiny. And if you don't believe it does because I can't read the Bible, Bruce, and da, 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 read books from men who felt the exact same way you feel about your doubts and see if that enlightens you. Because I just, as Chris said, I can't change you. I can't make my faith your faith. Not judging you Not at all. Not at all. I understand why bad things have happened to you and you feel like there's not a loving God out there. I get it. Other people have... I grew up in a Christian home. For me, it was very easy to believe. And I've had experiences that have ingrained it in me. And I can tell you those. If you want to talk to me, I can tell you what those are. But please don't just let it ride and then be snatched from this life and find out that it's too late to make that decision. Bruce, 15 years ago, I had a conversation with an atheist friend of mine, somebody I really admire and respect. Yes, I admire and respect mm-hmm. atheists, right? And I said, listen, what do you have to lose? I said, if you're right and I'm wrong, we both doesn't matter. But what if I'm right? And you're wrong. And at the very least, don't take my word for it. Examine it and study it for yourself. Yes. Then make that decision. That's the only thing that I ask. And, you you know, if you're right and I'm wrong, who cares? You know, we both 
And there's nothing then. When we die, there's nothing. It's just this life is just, hey, it's been nice. I'm just killing time here until I die. But if I'm right and you're wrong, then we live forever in, in not in a sinful way, but in a perfect way and surrounded by love where every tear is wiped away and there's no more fear and no more sorrow and no more tears and no more disease and no more death. You know, just... But don't take my word for it. No. Examine it yourself. We want that for you. And we want and also it's more than it's more than just the afterlife. It's the peace you have in this life. Uh, to persevere through circumstances like uh, Chris and his family have been through, like the like the Bryant family's going mm-hmm. through, like the Altabelli family's going through, the um, people on mm-hmm. that on that copter, people who are taken away and people who go through terrible things. So. And yeah, and on a slightly lighter, lighter note, though, it, it helps me persevere through this podcast three days yes it does <laughs> arduous drive out here <laughs> tell the people what arduous means Not th- I, I i of course know what it means yeah. but arduous, they might, yeah <laughs> arduous uh i was gonna make a snarky comment uh, an arduous about a certain, partner about a certain <laughs> no 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 i was gonna make a snarky comment about a certain player's three-point shooting it's arduous to watch it <laughs> I, I won't do it i won't do it uh, see you're growing there. i'm trying i'm trying Everybody have a great uh, week. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday.